We, we started last week our prayer series, Pastor Mike been pushing that, and really sign up for that 24-hour, seven days prayer time, pray for a slot, you'll be amazed, after today, you'll be amazed at how quickly an hour of prayer will go, and I'm going to teach you some things about how to pray more practically, and, and how to enjoy praying a whole lot more. So we're enjoying our prayer series, Carol started last week. Pastor Darlene opened up with uh, the introduction, spoke about in Acts chapter 4, when they were being persecuted, how they prayed in the upper room. And they first started with praise, and so you get perspective through praise. And then she spoke about getting weaponized through the word. They started to declare the word. And then spoke about how our prayers, when we pray, the angels take our prayers. They take them to heaven like incense before heaven. And, and God then answers our prayers and sends angels with the answers. And so praying is actually a very exciting thing, especially when you see what's going on in the unseen realm when we pray. And so since I'm carrying on with the prayer series, I think I should open in prayer. Dad, you're so good. Thank you for what you've been doing in our midst. Thank you for every person here. Father, I thank you that you hear every single prayer that we pray. I thank you that you're a God who answers prayer. And Lord, I pray over this church right now. I ask that you would remove veils. I ask that you would cause us to see you and the way that you operate more clearly. I ask that you would cause us to have a passion for praying like never before. I ask my Lord and my God that every person here will start to enjoy prayer more. That it will become a part of our lives. It will become habitual. It will become something that we can't do without because you're going to train us and teach us just how powerful and awesome it is. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Good. I'm glad some of you said that. You know, there was a pastor who trained his children to pray from a young age. It wasn't me, although we did train our children to pray from early age. But this pastor um, tells the story that he was taking his children, as most pastors, being good fathers, and know how to spiritually train their children, he was taking them to McDonald's. A very spiritual experience. Some of you would agree, right? And so he's, he's on his way to McDonald's. His kids are all excited. As they get to the intersection to cross over to McDonald's, there's a big accident. And so he looks at the accident and he says, children, we need to pray for this accident. So his youngest child just kicks into major intercession mode. And he's like, Jesus, 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 we pray. We pray for this accident. Oh, Jesus, we pray it won't block the way to McDonald's. It won't stop us from getting our Happy Meals in Jesus' name. <laughs> Amen. So it doesn't matter how you are motivated to pray. Uh, God will give you motivation in your heart, whether it's for McDonald's or whatever. But I do think you would all agree with me. Young or old, we probably don't pray enough. Would you agree? Unless you do. How many of you here feel like you pray enough? Okay. Okay. So you're in the right place. This is a good message for every one of you. You know, we, we always can pray more, but I think a lot of people come to me and, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray. And, and after I start praying, I get distracted by a thousand things. Any of you relate to some of that? And so as we're going through this series on prayer, I am really trusting that the Holy Spirit's going to anoint you, grace you, empower you, that your prayer life's going to go up a notch and you're going to enjoy every single minute of it. Amen. You know, when we look at most of the great men and women of God through church history, you will note one thing that is in common with every one of those who's moved in the miraculous, moved in authority, seen incredible revival, and that is that every single one of them gave their lives to a whole lot of prayer. Prayer is the source of our power. And if prayer is our source of, of spiritual significance and spiritual success, there's a whole lot of Christians going, God, why don't I have that? But they're not doing the work in the prayer closet. 
And so I want to just encourage you today that God is going to do amazing things as we as a church start to pray more and become more of a praying church. I'm going to give you some quotes from some of these generals and guys who've done amazing things. There are thousands of them out there. I just chose 892 because we had to keep it short, right? Uh, actually, I only chose five. So just relax. Charles Spurgeon, who was actually known as the greatest preacher of his day, said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. That's significant. Andrew Murray said, the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to world evangelization in history. Most revivals where the harvest has come in have been birthed in prayer. Ian Bounds says, prayer is not learned in a classroom, but in the closet. So I want to say to you, I'm going to teach you on prayer. I'm going to give you some practical pointers today. But it only is going to work for you if you take these and start doing them. Amen? And I'm just, I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us and cause us to catch the revelation. And our lives are going to be changed as we do that. Martin Luther said an interesting thing, and this is perfect for Joburg people. I have so much to do that I'll have to spend the first three hours in prayer. How many of you think that way? Oh God, I got so much to do. Sorry, I don't have time to pray. That's probably the most common one, right? We need to learn. I've learned the secret. When I have a whole lot of things to do, and I pray, and I bless it, and I plead the blood of Jesus over it, it goes smoothly. And when I don't pray, then a two-minute job takes two hours. Any of you know what I'm saying? And I can tell you that when you take the time to pray, everything else goes smoother and quicker. And then, last of all, I love this, D.L. Moody. He who kneels the most stands the best. So if these are guys who really experienced favor in their lives, my heart in the series as we teach it, and what I'm going to teach today, is my goal is that every single one of us will start to pray more each day, in every way, more giants will slay, hip hip hooray. What do you say? Okay, great. That, that was good. Uh, thank you for those two people who really bought into that. Today I want to give you some practical pointers pertaining to praying with power, purpose, passion, and perseverance. Now, let me tell you, prayer does take work. It doesn't come naturally. And have you noticed this? Prayer is work. It's a sacrifice of time. And it's something that we need to press through the initial challenges before you start to see the breakthroughs and it becomes a habit where you can't do without it. But I can guarantee you that if you persevere through the difficulties, the challenges, the tough, you're going to find that there's coming a grace that will just start to flow through your prayer life. You know, why is prayer difficult when you think about it? Do you find it difficult to speak to your friends at work or in your connect group? No. You don't find it difficult, right? Why do we find it difficult to talk to God? Well, one of the reasons is that we can't see him, <laughs> right? And so we have to, by faith, pray, acknowledge his presence. But the other thing is that the enemy is throwing everything he has at you to keep you out of the word and prayer. And so Christians who struggle with word and prayer, you must recognize that this is warfare that you're in. And part of doing warfare is not just shouting at the devil, but it's actually doing the things that he's trying to stop you from doing. And that if I start getting in the word more and I start praying more, there is going to be a victory and a spiritual success in your life that he doesn't want you to have. And so we've got to press through that. And so when we talk about War Room, War Room is that movie that came out. How many of you have seen the movie War Room? Right, great. Now, I encourage the rest of you to watch it. In fact, uh, 
I mean, the acting is not best in the world, but there's an anointing on that movie. And uh, it actually, the, it, it said that the American box office was surprised at how well it did in the United States because so many people watched it. I encourage you to watch it. But when we start to look at that, we are at war, right? And there is a battle, but that battle has to be won in the spirit. And so I want to teach you today how to do some of that. So I'm going to just start to give you some very simple, you'll see them pop up there, some very simple pointers, practical things that you can do to have a powerful prayer life. Some of us just want the revelation from heaven, the angel to appear, etc. But you know that most of the stuff in the kingdom that is powerful is simple. That doesn't mean it's easy, but God's ways are very simple. And so having a powerful prayer life and a, and a prayer life that is significant is actually not that difficult when you look at the simplicity of it. It's just pressing through the resistance. So I'm going to give you some, some things that I find helpful. And some of these come from a lot of prayer people that just say, here's some tips on how to have a healthy prayer life. But first of all, most people say, I don't know what to pray. How about this? On your cell phone, get yourself a little note app. And every time you sense a need or you see a need in someone else or God lays something on your heart, you write it down. You will find that list gets pretty long by the time you get back to your prayer room. Start with a note. So I've got, I've got a note app on my phone and I start writing down. When someone says to me, Pastor, will you pray for me? If I say I'm going to pray for you, most Christians are, yes, I'm praying for you. And then they don't pray. How many of you have done that? Don't raise your hands. But yeah, I'm praying for you. And that's as far as it goes, because you never really got to pray for them. Be a man or woman of your word. Write their name down. Put them in that prayer list. Don't make your prayer list so long that it overwhelms you. Take reasonable things. But I can tell you that if you carry that around with you, and you write down every time something comes up that you can pray for, you're going to end up with a whole lot of things that you can pray for. And then you need to set aside a quiet place where you can pray every day, and where you can pray out loud without being disturbed. Something happens when you pray out loud. There is power in our words. The Bible is full of that. Our words have creative power. And so if I'm just praying in my mind or just, oh, Jesus, I have to press your Jesus. There's a power in me standing and declaring out loud the things that I'm praying for. And so I encourage you to find a place. And most of you don't have a closet like in War Room. I, you know, the American closets seem to be a whole lot bigger than ours. Have you noticed? I mean, she could get furniture in there. She could lie down in there. My closet ain't like that. If I prayed in my closet, it would be like, So you don't have to go into the closet. You just need to find a quiet place. But you need a place that you can go to every day. And if you're in a family, your family should know, okay, that door's closed. That means they're spending time with God. I'm not going to disturb them. Develop that as a habit pattern. And then when you are there, you have some pointers as to how to make your prayer life really cook. One of them is start to pray scripture because there's a whole lot in scripture that we can pray that is great and you don't have to make stuff up. My favorite is Psalm 103 and Psalm 91. I pray those regularly. And I've given you a few other Psalms there, but there are many scriptures you can start to pray. Just start to pray scripture. Start, the Psalms are great because the Psalms were actually written as praises and prayers to God. Psalm 103, I start with that. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So I started to declare his benefits. He forgives all my sins. Isn't that great? He heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. Thank you, Jesus. He crowns me with love and mercy. He satisfies my desires with good things. 
He renews my youth like the eagles. So if you, all of you wondering how come we look so good in our 70s, it's because we bless the Lord with our souls and it gives us youth like the eagles. And then when you start to pray those scriptures and you start to have a powerful time in your prayer closet, we must remember that we don't leave Jesus in the prayer closet. You know, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a kind of a mindset that you had your time with God and then you went out and did your real thing in the world. Many Christians do this. They're like, Jesus, I pray, I confess, thank you, Lord, declare scripture. We had a really good time, Jesus. Thank you, I'll see you tomorrow. Off we go to work or to class or whatever it is. You know that you need Jesus a whole lot more at work than you might realize or a whole lot more in your studies. Students who did exams, you needed Jesus big time, right? You got very spiritual over that time, didn't you? <laughs> Your prayer life went up tenfold during exams. But the truth of the matter is that we are also called to pray all day. 1 Thessalonians says this, Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. So we should actually, all throughout the day, take times. On my phone, I've got reminders, and, and I will, whether, whether you take a lunch break or whatever it is, but start to learn spontaneous prayer. You know, when a need arises, something comes through on our intercession group that says, please pray. Carol and I don't wait until our prayer time. We will immediately start praying. Teach yourself that prayer should be a vital part of every single minute of your day. Because God goes with you and he knows a whole lot more than you know about your job. Believe that or not. He's the best engineer, best doctor, best teacher, best everything you can think of, best businessman. And when you are dwelling in his presence, God will do miracles through your work. Smith Wigglesworth said something very interesting on this. He said, I seldom pray for more than 30 minutes. Now, Smith Wigglesworth was one of the most powerful healing revivalists of the last century. And he said, I seldom pray for more than 30 minutes. But he closed with, I never go more than 30 minutes without praying. Make it, write that down if you're taking notes. That is good. Well done, Smith. But we need to always be recognizing God's presence, staying in communion with Him, always sensing that He's there for us. And then another few points that I want to give you, keep a journal. The bottom line is that prayer is conversation with God, and that means it's not just one way. And so we need to take time as we pray to hear what God is saying to us. And so I have another note there. that I have one note on my uh, phone that says prayer. I have another one that says revelations. And everything God shows me, I write down there. Keep a journal. You'll be amazed what happens. God might speak stuff to you in that journal. And then years later, you'll see something come to pass. You go, oh, God actually spoke that to me. And you'll be amazed as you start to journal just how much stuff God will speak to you. Put the effort in. It's not difficult. You will be amazed. Journaling is powerful. And then the other powerful part of prayer is prayer of agreement. Praying with others. Every Friday night we have a prayer of agreement, corporate prayer time that takes place at the church offices. But Jesus said this, Truly I say to you that if two of you on earth agree about anything and ask for it, it will be done by my Father in heaven. So if we are standing in agreement for something that's in God's will, there's power in agreement. And Jesus makes it quite clear, there's more power in my agreement prayers, in corporate prayers, than just on my own. So he's designed us to need each other and pray with each other. Amen? And then I'm going to just take you to what I believe is a powerful prayer pattern. Jesus taught it. You see it throughout scripture. And when Jesus was 
leading his disciples, they saw, here's a man who leads a life of prayer. Jesus hung out with his dad all the time. He would set himself apart privately, but he would also stay in communion all the time with his father. In fact, Jesus said, the son can do nothing of himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Now, how can I see what the father's doing if I left him in my prayer closet in the morning and I'm off doing my own thing? That means I've got to stay in constant communion, constantly listening to his voice, training myself to hear things from him. And then when we start to pray, there is a power that comes that Jesus, when he taught his disciples, they said, okay, we can see that you move in the power. We can see you have a great prayer life. Teach us to pray. Remember that? And Jesus taught them how to pray. Now, this many people call the Lord's Prayer. This isn't really the Lord's Prayer. This is the disciples' prayer. Jesus Maybe John 17 is more like the Lord's Prayer where Jesus prayed for us. But the disciples' prayer that Jesus taught them has a particular pattern to it. God didn't intend us every morning to wake up and just go, Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know how most people just rattle it off or rattle off grace. Lord, bless the food, bless all those hands that prepared in Jesus' name, amen. And we mix no faith with it, etc. What Jesus was teaching them was principles and patterns for powerful prayer. And so I want to give you some practical prayer pattern that if you practice this, you will find an hour of prayer can go super quick. You will find that you won't be sitting there going, what do I do, what do I say? You will find things happening. So let me just take you through. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what was the first part? Our Father in heaven. Yes, yes. Hello be your name. Jolly good. I'm glad some of you know that prayer. It starts... Not with, oh God, I'm so sorry, I did it again, oh God, I'm such a worm, step on me, watch me squirm, oh God, I'm so, just terrible. Or on the other hand, we come into God's presence, just, God, why don't you give me more money, I need a new car, the roof broken, what's going on, come on Jesus, where are you, God? Uh, how many of you can relate to either of those two as the start of your prayer session? Prayer session always has to start with thanksgiving and praise because otherwise you don't get the perspective from heaven that you need. And so every time you see prayer in scripture, Carol shared on it last week, you will find that praise, thanksgiving and worship is always the opening part. You enter his gates with thanksgiving. You enter his courts with praise. And then when I'm in his courts and his presence, then I'm praying face to face with God. I'm not down there shouting at him. Praise brings me into his presence. Praise and worship cause me to see him, to feel him, to experience. And what it does is it shuts down me looking at all my need and what's going wrong. And it forces me to think about the things that I can be grateful for. And so no matter what's going on in your life, you will always find something to be thankful for. I've taught about it before, the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin. We have to learn that. So when things are going thick or thin, you need to learn to be thankful and start looking for things to be thankful for. Here's an interesting thing. You know that neuroscience has discovered that gratitude actually causes the amygdala to shrink and the frontal cortex to grow. That means less stress, less cortisol, less fight or flight, and a whole lot more of being able to reason and operate in logical things, language, power of being able to, to hear God more. And so your brain changes when you are grateful. Did you know that? The Bible's been saying it for a whole long time. The other thing that's useful is to take postures that represent that. So when I'm thankful, you know, I'm not on my knees, Jesus, I'm so thankful. I'll do that in supplication or when I do go, oh God, forgive me. There are times to be on my knees, but during thankfulness, raise your hands. The Bible has so many things where it talks about through the Psalms. Tada, Yoda, they all words that say, extend the hand. You know what else science has found? That if you just stand with your hands raised in the air for a minute, 
it increases the testosterone in your body and it increases your boldness. They did a test with people going for interviews. Half the group, they made them stand with their arms raised before going for the interview. Three minutes, thank you. They would stand for three minutes with their arms raised. The other group didn't. The group that stood with their arms raised was bolder, more confident, more secure, and did better in the interviews. There's something about praying out loud and manifesting, physically expressing what is taking place in the spirit realm. So do things. When we praise and worship, lift your hands. When you get to interceding and you're praying on your knees, prostrate on your face. There are times where you should dance. Now, I only dance in my private room. My wife will tell you why. Because I actually can't do it in public. I embarrass her. Then secondly, once I'm in his presence, the Bible says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Once I'm in his presence and I'm seated with him in heavenly places, the Bible says in Ephesians, and it tells us in Revelations 4, Carol taught on it, where he said to John, come up here. Remember that illustration Carol shared last week that when we're down on earth and all we can see is our problems, everything looks like problem, right? But the moment I get away from my problem and I put my problem down there and I come sitting with Jesus up in heaven, it looks really small from heaven. When I'm seated with him in heavenly places, my mindset shifts, my mindset changes. You know, when I am seated with him in heavenly places, I can release what heaven has. And I'm not dictated by what earth doesn't have. What does heaven have? Heaven has healing. Is there anxiety in heaven? No anxiety. Is there fear in heaven? No fear. So when I'm in heaven, then I start to say, perfect love casts out all fear. I receive perfect love. I release that on earth. Healing flows from heaven. No sickness in heaven. I receive that. I release it on earth. There's always bountiful in heaven. Therefore, I release that bounty on earth. And you start to pray from heaven to earth. You see, here's a secret, and you can write this down. When you live in from earth to heaven, your circumstances determine your prayers. When you live in from heaven to earth, your prayers determine your circumstances. Let me say that again. When you live in from earth to heaven and you just focus on all your problems and all the stuff going on around you, then your circumstances determine your prayers. And it's all about, oh God, this is wrong, this is wrong, I need that, I need that. But when you get to heaven and you stand in his presence, you bathe in his light, you experience that freedom. Freedom from anxiety. Freedom, freedom from lightning bolts. <laughs> then all of a sudden you stand in and you start praying with God instead of to God. I'm standing with God. I'm saying, God, what are you doing? Like Jesus, what is the Father doing? What are you saying, Lord? Let me release that. And so I'm standing in His presence, hearing from Him and releasing Him. And that is the start of powerful prayer. I don't start by asking and petitioning. I don't start by crying and repenting. I start by giving thanks. I start by getting in His presence. I start by getting perspective. I start by hearing from Him and releasing that. And then, as I'm in that place, then it says, give us today our daily bread. It doesn't start with what you need. It starts with Thank God. Seek first his kingdom. All the rest will be added to you. And so then I start to make my requests. Philippians 4 verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now while I'm on earth, I'm anxious about a whole lot. If I'm seated with him in heavenly places, no anxiety. I have never seen Jesus anxious once. Have you? When you read the Bible, was Jesus ever anxious? Afraid? So when I'm seated with him, then I start to release that. And I can start to give my prayers. It says, therefore, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, now make your requests known to God. 
So you've done all the thanksgiving, you've gone into heaven, now you can make your requests, and your requests will no longer be driven by reaction to what's going on, it'll be driven by response to what's going on in heaven. And then, there's another part of my supplication where I pray for other people's needs. That is called intercession. 1 Timothy 2.1 says, make intercession for everyone. John 17 is Jesus' prayer for the disciples and for us as the church. That's his intercession for us. And the Bible says Jesus still stands today before the Father in heaven, constantly interceding for us. And so there's this place where I bring my needs before God and I bring others' needs before him and intercede for them. A lot of my prayer list is people that I've said I'm going to pray for and I make sure I pray for them every day. Pray for my family every day. Pray for my children every day. They're things that you should pray for every day. And as you do, that's intercession. Now that I've prayed intercession, we all know, okay, we've brought our needs. Give us today our daily bread. What else does it say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. We bring ourselves to the place where we recognize there is warfare, and that's why this series is called War Room. And most of the prayer in the War Room was intercession prayer, by the way. It wasn't doing warfare and shouting at the devil. But there is warfare that takes place. We must understand something. Shouting at the devil doesn't win the war. There are two areas that we need to win the war. The first is inside of ourselves. The first is to recognize that most of the battle takes place in the mind. That's where the battle is. And so when I start to look at how do I win in warfare, I need to first start by recognizing it has to start here. I need to close the doors that have been opened to the enemy. And so that's where I started to say, Father, I confess my sin. I receive forgiveness. You cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. I've made righteous. I stand then and say, I forgive others. I don't harbor any bitterness, any unforgiveness. Those are two areas that open doors to the enemy you need to shut. Both God and the enemy are limited to what they can do in your life by your free choice. Let me just say this. The only authority the enemy can have in your life is what you give him. Jesus took all his authority away. It's only when you open doors, either through sinfulness or through attitudes that are wrong or through wrong thinking patterns. And so that's why the battle is in the mind because when we win and get our minds to think right, the enemy no longer has a foothold. Jesus stood when he said, it's time for the prince of this world to come. He said, but he has nothing in me. Yeah, I want to be able to say that. And so we stand recognizing that my mind is the battlefield. 2 Corinthians 10 says the weapons we fight with, they're not the weapons of the world. We demolish arguments. We demolish pretensions that set itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought and bring it to the obedience. What is he talking about? Where's the warfare? Right here. So we get ourselves right first. James, one of, James 4 verse 7 that I've got up there is a powerful scripture on spiritual warfare. Do you know how you defeat the devil? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. That's the promise in James 4, 7. It doesn't say shout at the devil, rebuke him nonstop, and he will flee. It says submit yourself to God, resist what the devil wants you to do, and he will flee. And so that's dealing with myself. We also know, of course, that there's an enemy, right? There's Satan and his demons. And we are going to find that there is warfare that takes place around that, but I've got to say something about this because too many Christians grow up, come out of churches or out of prayer meetings where a whole lot of corporate prayer meetings are just shouting at the devil. Any of you been in those? It's like, we take authority in Jesus' name and we bind that prince and we pull that down and we just declare devil, you shall not touch and we bind him. And, you know, we spend a whole lot of time focused on the enemy and he loves it. 
When I'm seated in heavenly places, the way that I pray is to say, what is heaven doing, not what is the enemy doing? I submit myself first to God. I resist what the enemy is doing. And the Bible says, as I do that, as I hide in God, as I protect myself in him, as I do what he's telling me to do, the enemy will flee. Ephesians 6 does tell us we need to put on the full armor that we protect it against the enemy. We are at war. We do take authority over the enemy, but that is not the bulk of your prayer time. In fact, that is super quick. I repent. I get the things out of my life that are open doors to the enemy. Then I put him in his place and I say, you may not touch me here. I cut you off from my family. I declare that you may not come near my family, my home, my property, my pets. I pray over my pets as well every day. And as I'm declaring that, I put him in his place, but my focus comes back to Jesus all the time. If you're in a corporate prayer meeting where it's just shouting at the devil, I'm not sure that is God's best way of praying. Matthew 18 gives us some interesting insight. Many of you have heard this. I give you authority to bind and loose, right? Do you know the scripture that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven? Let me tell you what that scripture literally says. Matthew 18, 18 to 19. Jesus says, truly I tell you, whatever you declare unlawful on earth is what has been declared unlawful in heaven. And whatever has been declared lawful in heaven, you can declare lawful on earth. Doesn't that change the way you think about that scripture? It actually comes from the Torah, where binding and loosing, those two words were used by the Sanhedrin, the, the Jewish council, and they would have the authority to declare something in that religious society as being lawful or unlawful. That was the word that was used. And so Jesus is saying, I'm giving every one of you that same authority. So what is lawful in heaven? Healing. Provision, joy, peace, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All of these things are from heaven. So I have the power to pull those things down from heaven and say, you are lawful and you are allowed in my home and my presence and my family and my workplace, etc. But what I declare unlawful is, devil, you shall not bring sickness here. You shall not steal, kill, and destroy here. I declare that unlawful. I bind you and I command you to go. Now I carry on praying to Jesus. Are you catching this? When you go to your bedroom at night and it's pitch dark, do you scream at the darkness until it goes? If you do, you need help. <laughs> so many Christians do this. They think by shouting at darkness, it's going to go. No, what you do is you turn on the light. There's no battle. And so the greatest form of spiritual warfare is displacement. I bring light, darkness flees. I bring light, darkness flees. I speak his blessings. I speak his power. I speak the release of everything he stands for. I start to release everything Jesus said. I start to confess scripture. I don't have to fight the devil. Light comes, truth comes, and darkness has to flee. And that is the most powerful form of prayer. Displacement. And then lastly, I'm going to, this is my second point that I want to wrap up with. Something that as a spirit-filled church, we believe in being baptized in the Holy Spirit. We recognize that through baptism in the Holy Spirit, we receive power to pray. And we receive a prayer language. But it's not taught on a whole lot. So I'm going to teach on it. Is that okay with all of you? If it's not okay with you, I'm still going to teach on it. <laughs> but I want to talk about praying with Pentecost power. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to Acts 2. It's good to turn to your Bible every now and then or open your cell phone app, whichever one it is that you've got. Uh, the rest of you I know have memorized your Bible. You don't need to look at anything. So Acts chapter 2 describes the disciples in the upper room. Now let me paint the picture for you. 
Jesus being crucified, raised from the dead. He comes, he gives them the great commission. We all know the great commission. We teach on this plenty. And the great commission, part of it is, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after telling them to go, he then says to them, stay. Sounds like a bit of a, you know, go stay, Jesus. What do you want? He said, no, don't leave Jerusalem. You stay in Jerusalem until you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit that my father promised. In other words, Jesus was saying, you cannot go and fulfill the Great Commission unless you've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a tripod foundation that every Christian should be standing on. Acts 2, Peter stands up in front of them and he starts to speak. They're all speaking in tongues. All 120 disciples speaking in tongues. And they think, what is going on? And people can understand different languages coming through. And Peter stands up and he says, this is because of Jesus whom you crucified. And they get convicted and they say, what shall we do? Peter says this, you must repent, you must be baptized in water, and you must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That is what we call the tripod foundation of the faith. Now, if you're a Christian here today, and you might have repented and prayed a sinner's prayer, but if you're not baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit, you are not going to experience the fullness of what God has for you. Because those are the tools that is given to equip you to live the Christian life. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It, you're going to heaven when you've repented. You believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. But you've got to live a saved life on earth. And baptism in water gets rid of the old man so he's not following you all around. And it gives you the power through baptism in the Holy Spirit so you can live the saved life. Amen. 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 So there they are in the upper room waiting, as Jesus said, in Acts 2 verse 2. And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. I just wanted you to feel that. that, that yeah, that's kind of what it sounded like. And filled the whole house. And they saw what tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? As they were filled, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Just spontaneously, everyone starts speaking in other tongues. Different languages. They never heard it before. They didn't know what they were saying. They spill out on the streets, 120 people, praying in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in languages that all the people in Jerusalem could understand. Remember, Pentecost was one of the feasts that people came from all over the nations to come and celebrate in Jerusalem. That means you had people from different nations who spoke many different languages in Jerusalem at that time. God gave them 120 people each speaking your specific language. Isn't that cool? And so they started speaking tongues. Now, tongues of fire, you might think, well, that's kind of odd. We've actually seen this happen before. This is Heidi Baker in Mozambique. One of the meetings that they were holding, she sees amazing miracles. I mean, blind eyes open, lame people getting out of wheelchairs, to see amazing miracles there. But this was one of their meetings where literally tongues of fire came and sat on top of everyone. That is not a photoshopped photo. That really happened. I'm trusty for some of that in our church. Hey, how would you like that during worship? Whoa, get the fire extinguisher, man. There's flames everywhere. There's one story of a church where they did call the fire brigade because the church was on fire. And when the fire brigade got there, there was fire burning all over the building. They were experiencing revival, but nothing was burning. There was just flames all around the place. Fire brigade didn't know what to do because you can't put out the Holy Ghost. So when we look at baptism in the Holy Spirit, we must acknowledge something. There are five times in Acts that it is spoken of where they prayed for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it just gives us an idea of what baptism in the Holy Spirit does. Acts 2, we've already spoken about tongues of fire. 
What was the manifestation? They spoke in tongues. The Samaritans, Philip went to the Samaritans, was busy preaching, seen miracles. He calls Peter and John because they're just getting saved. He's baptizing them in water. Peter and John arrive and say, we need to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Remember this pattern? You've repented. You believe in Jesus. You get baptized in water. You get baptized in the Holy Spirit. There were times that they got baptized in the Holy Spirit first and times they got baptized in water. But first, doesn't matter. Just as long as you get all three. And so as they are there, Peter and John start praying. And they says that there's a sorcerer, a guy who moved in sorcery and saw a whole lot of power of darkness. It says that when he saw what happened when they laid their hands on them for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what happened was so powerful that he actually said, I will pay you money to give me the ability to do that. So you know it wasn't just one of those quiet, receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And people just standing there. There was some power being poured out. There was a manifestation. There were things happening. There was glory. And so much so that a man who had experienced all the power of the dark world said that is nothing compared to what I'm seeing happen here. Paul's uh, baptism says that when God blinded him, he had to get prayer. His eyes were opened. He got healing. But he also talks later in the epistles about the fact that he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. So we know what happened to Paul in that moment. Then we also have the story of Peter, when Jesus says to him, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And, you know, that was kind of foreign to them. And he gets the Gentiles and he starts preaching to them. And it says halfway through his sermon, maybe it wasn't such a good sermon. I don't know. But the Holy Spirit comes, falls upon everyone. They start praying in tongues. And Peter's like, hang on, guys, I'm busy preaching. That's very rude, you know. No, he looked at them and he said, Wow, if the Holy Spirit has fallen on them and they are speaking in tongues just like us, then that means God has chosen the Gentiles. Therefore, we must baptize them in water. So here they got baptized the Holy Spirit first, speaking in tongues. Then they got baptized in water. And then the Ephesians, 20 years later, talks about Paul praying. And as he laid hands on them, they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what happened? They spoke in tongues and prophesied. Are you getting the picture here? Are you catching that baptism in the Holy Spirit comes with? the ability to speak in tongues and prophesy. And so some of you here might have been baptized in the Holy Spirit at some stage, but not released in tongues. We're going to fix that today. We're going to pray for you. We had 15 people in the first service who all got released in tongues. This was glorious. All of them go, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's awesome. And God has that for you. He has a prayer language for every one of you. But there's a whole lot more that comes. You know, when a kettle's boiling, any of you have that little whistle that you put on the kettle? And you well, the whistle is, is great, but the whistle is just a sign of the boiling power inside. Tongues is a releasing gift. It's a gateway gift that's releasing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life in many different ways. And so tongues is evidence of the Holy Spirit doing a whole lot more in your life than just speaking in tongues. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul kind of gives an understanding of what tongues really is all about. The Corinthian church was fascinating. Just picture this. The Corinthian church got baptized in the Holy Spirit. They prayed in tongues, and they were so excited about the fact that they could speak in tongues that when they came to church on a Sunday morning, they all just stood up front there speaking in tongues. So here's about, you know, who knows, hundreds of them standing there in church, all going, And Paul says, guys, if a visitor, what he calls an inquirer, comes into your midst, will they not think you crazy? How many of you, before you were baptized in the Holy Spirit on your about tongues, walked into a church and all of them are standing there together, you would think this is crazy. So we don't do that in church. 
Paul gives guidelines. He says, in the corporate service where you have visitors, where you have inquirers, that's not the place to start speaking in tongues. That's the place to prophesy. That's the time to speak into their lives things they'll understand. But while he's correcting them, he does give insights about what tongues is for and what tongues does. And just a few select scriptures. He says this. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. No one understands them. They are uttering mysteries directly to God by the Spirit. Isn't that cool? When I pray in tongues, I'm uttering mysteries. Straight to God. And it's always in accordance with the will of God because the Holy Spirit knows His will. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. The one who prophesies edifies the church. Here Paul is clarifying that the ability to speak in tongues is not the gift of tongues. When you look at the gifts, all the gifts are there to edify the church. None of the gifts are there to just edify yourself. Paul is saying, unless you're moving in the gift of tongues, not everyone does. The gift of tongues is where someone gets one prophetic word, speaks it out in another language, there's an interpretation, and it's for the whole church. That's the gift. Paul is saying, you're not operating the gift of tongues, you're all just praying in tongues. That prayer language is for you and God in either corporate prayer meetings or in your personal prayer life. And so Paul says, yeah, when you speak in tongues, you will edify yourself, but in church, you should rather prophesy so you can edify the church. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, my mind is unfruitful. You don't. How many of you understand what you're saying when you pray in tongues? You don't. Your mind doesn't understand what you're saying. It bypasses the mind and your spirit starts to speak words your mind can't understand. That's why some people think, wow, this is like gibberish. There, you can look it up on YouTube. There are a couple of studies where they've done neuroscience uh, experiments on the brain where people who pray in English or in their home language, the frontal cortex, the language center lights up. When they pray in tongues, the language center goes dim. Tongues is not a language that you pray in through your language center. It's coming straight from your spirit. So what happens when you pray in tongues? You shut your mind down. It doesn't get in the way. And you start to release the spirit. And you start to understand what the spirit is saying. The more I pray in tongues, the more revelation I get. When I don't know what to pray, I pray in tongues. I suddenly get insight as to what God wants me to pray. It's powerful. And so Paul says, when you've got tongues, there are two things you can do with it. You can pray in the spirit but also pray with your understanding. You can also sing in the spirit, but also sing with your understanding so that your mind is getting both. And in a corporate prayer meeting, people can bear witness to what you're saying. Amen? And then Paul says this interesting thing. In the Greek, it literally says, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you put together. So did Paul pray in tongues a lot? Did Paul see why miracles and an incredible life of power it came from a life of prayer. I want to tell you that if you want a life of power, it's going to have to come from a life of prayer. And lastly, he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So you can take a picture of this, why we should speak in tongues. Bible says you pray spiritual mysteries to God. It edifies you. Paul prayed more than all of them put together. It's a heavenly prayer language. Paul also talks about it as the language of angels. Speaking in tongues is giving thanks and praise to God. Paul said, do not forbid speaking in tongues. It's the initial evidence of the indwelling baptism of the Holy Spirit. And every time I pray in tongues, it's a constant reminder of His supernatural presence. No religion has this. What religion has a specific prayer language that only comes from the power of the Spirit that reminds you every day that you have a supernatural Spirit inside of you? Because I can't do that in the natural. And it says in Romans 8, and this is a powerful scripture. Write this down, go read it at home, meditate on it. But Romans 8 says this, So the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
We don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that cannot be expressed in our words. Isn't that cool? So when I'm praying, the Holy Spirit, when I pray in tongues, is interceding God's will through me. Sometimes it is with groans. There are times when I'm praying in tongues, it's just like, oh, and the Holy Spirit's interceding and groaning. And it says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with his will. When you're praying in tongues, you pray in perfect will of God. You're not making mistakes. So what happens when I pray in tongues? What am I actually saying? Can I play you a video? Uh, there are many different e examples of where people have prayed in tongues and it's actually been a language. But I want to play you a video of a time in Israel recently, Bill Johnson in Bethel, where you can hear what tongues is saying when you speak in tongues. Uh, why is that not playing? great really interesting story Joaquin was in Israel a couple weeks ago and, and um, um, one of the I think he had a team of students one of the students while he was praying in tongues uh, a young lady asked him um, where he learned uh, Hebrew and he was praying in perfect Hebrew and he says I don't know Hebrew and so he's praying in perfect Hebrew and the strange thing is is throughout the entire trip he could basically almost at will just begin to pray in Hebrew. There was just that anointing on him. So they got somebody there to translate. So th this is kind of quickly and, and uh, it doesn't flow together well because if you can imagine they're trying to translate what this guy's praying, you know. And uh, God, I long for you. You abide. He will judge and give us prophecies. You will judge and sit. You're in the sky with the angels of fire. Well, that's a good one. Um, you are, you are our God uh, for the weak. Uh, um, hear me, God. I am in peace. God, King, you are in my tongue. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you wrote everything. You are life. The King will rise up. The fire will rise up. The fire will come. We hope... Uh, we hope you will sit with us. You will judge. You will show us the hidden. Uh, we will be together in life. Lots and lots and lots of glory. You're alive. God, God will give. You are with your angels. Give us fire on the poor. Uh, God, your angels will hear. Your angel sits with you. You will listen to him. And it just goes on and on. And then he goes into, come for the people. You will blow on us. You will come for the rabbis. Give them wisdom. Is that awesome? That's awesome. He's praying in the spirit in Israel. God, you're coming for the rabbis. Just prophesy you're coming for the rabbis. We already know of, I don't remember the number now, it seemed like there's a hundred rabbis that are secret believers in Jerusalem right now. And they're waiting for the appropriate time to step forward. Uh, you will return, stick to you, judge all life, bring fire. You will bring rest and destroy all sicknesses. You are one, there will be no sicknesses. Bring them life, Yeshua will come. He is the God of the living, for the living there will be no sicknesses. Captives, God will advise, kiss us. King of the living, you are above all sicknesses. 
and for animals too. All creation grows, the scripture says. Father, you are alive in the, in the name of the living. Be with me. It's not above God, but on the people. King of the living, you are alive. No sicknesses. I'm picking up a theme here. Give us more fruitfulness. Understand, give us wisdom. King of the living, no sicknesses. He will bring us the true nature. Isn't that, isn't that just amazing? Wow. We don't, we don't ever take prophecy and make it equal with scripture, but how many of you recognize some scriptures in that? In that uh... Isn't that powerful? That's what we're saying when we're praying in tongues. I knew pets were getting prayed for while I prayed in tongues. But I want to just say this. If you are here today and you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, or you have been prayed for for the baptism, but you're not released in tongues, then I want to pray for you. So I'm going to take whoever needs prayer for baptism in the Holy Spirit or get released in tongues. I'm going to take you outside, going to pray for you. Just like them 15 people in the first service, there can be a whole bunch of you getting released in tongues, getting released in the power. So I want to do that. And then Carol's going to stay, and there's going to be a ministry moment for those of you that stay. So what I'm saying is, if you have not been, follow me. We're going to go out there. And I want to just say this. I was taught that tongues was of the devil. Until I read this verse, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who just ask him? And that's what it takes, just asking him. And so I want to do that. I want to stand with people to be prayed for, baptism of the Holy Spirit, released in tongues. I'm going to hand over to Pastor Darling to take the rest and wrap up the service. The rest of you follow me. Awesome. Can we give Andrew a hand? Thank you, Lord. So if you would like to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or released into your prayer language, please follow Andrew out. Yeah, can we give them a hand as they go? So if that's you and you would like that, just go ahead with Andrew. There we go. Now just take your stuff with you. And for those of you who are left behind, <laughs> God has, I was just laughing about that book series, Left Behind. Do you remember that book series, Left Behind? was like this terrible thing of everyone who got left behind in the rapture. We don't actually believe that. We know if there is going to be a rapture, we're all going to be in it. And we don't even really think there is going to be one that Jesus is going to come and rule and reign here on earth. I know I've just opened a can of worms, but there you go. God is with you. God is with us. I feel like um, God wants to remind us of three things. I think God wants to remind us that there are three ways that we grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. The first way that we grow in our relationship with the Holy Spirit is that he comes and dwells inside of us and makes us new. When we choose to surrender our lives to him, when we choose to acknowledge that we are not the boss of our own lives, but he is the boss of our life. He comes and dwells inside of us and causes us to be born again. The Holy Spirit living inside of us, leading us, guiding us, making a way for us. So that's the first way we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. The second way is when we, after salvation, get baptized in the Holy Spirit and all the power of the gifts come upon us and God uses us then to um, build his kingdom and to manifest supernatural examples of his power and love in the world and if you need that obviously go out with Andrew the third way is that he 
constantly leads us in relationship and fills us again and again with his presence. Every morning I wake up and ask for more of the Holy Spirit and for his presence to come upon me and that I would be baptized in the Holy Spirit again, filled again, released more into his presence and um, covered with his love and his truth. So that is the third way that we grow continuously in a relationship with him. And what I would love to do is I'd love the ministry time team to come up in a minute and we would love to pray for anyone you feel like you just need more of the Holy Spirit you just need to be encouraged you just need more of his presence in your life we would love you um, to come up and we'd love to pray for you and see that happen in your life first of all I'm going to ask if you can all bow your heads and I want to pray for people in that first category that I spoke about Lord God I just ask that if there's anyone here they may have been in church for the first time today, or perhaps they've been in church many times, but deep down they know that they are not right with you. In their hearts, they're not entirely sure if they would go to heaven when they die. They're not entirely sure what it means to live a life under your Lordship. They're not sure that you're in charge of their lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here like that, would you speak to them and would you help them to know that you are speaking to them? Thank you, Lord. And if that's you, and you're saying, I, I'm not sure of all these things, but I want to be sure. I want to know that God is in charge of my life and that I'm, that I'm living under His leadership and His guidance and His blessing, that I've surrendered my life to Him. And if that's you, I would love you to raise your hand because I'd love you to pray for you. So if you are here and you would like to do that, please won't you just raise your hand and acknowledge that it's something that you would like to do. Is there anyone here who would like to do that? Just go ahead and raise your hand if that's you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, I just want to pray for each person here that, Lord, you would come and fill us again with your presence. Where you are, just open your heart to his presence. Lord God, we ask that you would fill us again with more strength, more power, more ability. Lord God, we ask that clarity of thinking would be our portion. Lord God, you said by faith we understand. And Lord God, we exercise faith in your presence in us to help us to understand, to know how to live, to know how to walk. And Lord God, we ask that you would come and bless us and fill us with more of your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Great church.